This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> This episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Hi, I'm John Champion, co-host of Mission Log. While Daniel and Paul are doing a bang-up job covering the wide world of pop culture, we're talking Star Trek, one episode at a time, over at Mission Log, looking for morals, meanings, and messages. In fact, there are a whole lot of other shows at podcast.roddenberry.com for you to choose from science, feminism, even daily news, and all stops in between. Boldly go and find us. When you're done here, of course. Again, that address is podcast.roddenberry.com, and we will be delighted to have you trek us out. Kia ora and welcome to episode 57 of the Half Measures podcast. I'm joined by my friend and co-host Paul Kanawa. Paul, how are you doing? Kia ora Dan, kete ho. I'm doing good, thank you very much. How about yourself? Not too bad, not too bad. We're, we're heading into the, the Easter break. Daylight savings is coming to an end, which, you know, this, our summer's coming to an end. The rest of the world's getting their summer. It's always a bit of a sad time, but you know what? The world's going to keep spinning. It's a sad time, but it means it's going to be colder outside, so I'll get to watch more stuff inside, so I may have more material for the podcast. So that's the that's the positive here, right? Indeed, indeed. Speaking of um, watching stuff for the podcast, what have you been watching this week, Paul? Well, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about, one of the best things I've seen lately, and I really enjoyed this, is a British mini-series from ITV called Des. Uh, now, this came out last year. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a classic British police crime drama. Although this 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 one is a little different in as much that a, you know who the killer is uh, because he admits it within the opening ten minutes, uh, and b, it's based on a true story, and that is the 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 nineteen eighty three uh, Scottish serial killer. Dennis Nilsson, um, who gets arrested after police discover a whole bunch of human remains that are blocking up his drain. So it's based on a, a very well documented uh, story from the uh, from the eighties in the UK. And David Tennant uh, is the lead in this. Um, and obviously, you know, we talk about him quite a few times on this on this podcast and how you know how brilliant he is in the role of of the villain. And this this is no exception. That I guess. The difference here is if you sort of compare it to how he is as someone like um, Kilgrave, you know, in Jessica Jones, or the the psycho in um, what was that movie we watched, uh, Bad Samaritan? You know, the one with the you know, yeah, that sort of when he's terrifying in those, he he isn't sort of dark and foreboding and, and intimidating like he is in those. In this one, what makes him so terrifying is that at face value he seems like to be normal. He's he's so pleasant. He's honest and he's calm and like he he's he's really polite and uh, apologetic and he's like oh you should definitely lock me up what i've done is wrong and and i remember one line he uses is oh yeah there could have been hundreds 
because I would never have stopped if you hadn't locked me up. Um, so, so yeah, this was a, a really good uh, mini series. Um, you have you heard of this one, Dan, at all? I have heard of this one, and it has been on my radar actually. Um, as, as soon as you said it, and I, I brought up a picture of it, I, I you know, like you've said, I really enjoy David Tennant. I imagine this would be a, a fun little watch. Is it three episodes? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And so it's a, it's a pretty easy watch. Like it comes in at, I'd say, less than three hours in, in total, to be honest. So yeah, it's a, it's a very easy watch. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, the appeal for me was was David Tennant. Um, I, you know, I, I watch him in anything. But he's so far removed from, you know, his roles like Doctor Who and Broadchurch. And I, I find him quite an extraordinary actor because I always disassociate him from the other work he's done totally unconsciously. I have to make no effort where, where some actors I can only see them as, as one character, if you know what I mean. So, um, and it wasn't just him, you know, th- th- this was a great story, as I say, based on that gruesome, true story. And it, there's a real su- strong support cast as well. And there was two that I thought I'd mentioned to you. One is Daniel Mays, who plays the lead police officer. You and I know him as Danny Waldron, the police guy who goes too far in, um, a line of duty. Uh, he also plays the informant at the start of Rogue One. And the other guy was Jason Watkins. And he's also from Line of Duty. He plays that forensics guy um, who gets uh, taken out by, um, what was the name, Thandy Newton. And he's also um, Prime Minister Wilson in The Crown. Um, and so he plays the journalist that actually publishes um, David Tennant's character's uh, Des, his story. So, um, yeah, it's a really enjoyable watch. And of course, because it's, you know, because it's 83, we also have, the wonderful 80s cars and vans and TV coverage and fashion and smoking. I mean, all the smoking. It feels like everyone smoked in 1983 based on this series. So, um, yeah, real good. I would place it right up there. Probably the best thing I've seen him in since we watched him in Criminal UK. Um, so, yeah, TVNZ On Demand if you're here in New Zealand for this one. Awesome. I will add that to my watch list. What else have I got? So the other, that's right. Coming to America, Dan, the sequel to Coming to America. Um, so the original was 1988. And so this is, you know, 33 years later. So that's really up there. It's probably as unlikely a sequel as you'll ever find. But these days, it seems like anything goes pretty much. And so anyone who hasn't seen the original, Eddie Murphy uh, stars in the original as this, you know, African prince who winds up in New York and goes undercover to find someone to marry. And then this one, we find him as a, as an African monarch and he finds out that he has a long lost son back in the U S. Um, so he, he returns to America to, to meet his unexpected heir and, and build a relationship with him. Um, so the hook here is that at some point during the time of the first movie, he obviously wasn't too careful because now he's got this son and they use some really, um, average if i'm honest de-aging tech um but it works to show how that scene came about and how it's sort of um how those two films are linked so um so yeah so this was interesting this this movie has got a lot of hate from audiences and critics um so i probably went in with like real low expectations but at the same time i feel like i just have a lot of love for eddie murphy mainly if i'm honest because of beverly hills cop and i feel like i give him a lot of leeway in his movies because i know it's never going to be a classic but it, as i say about a lot of things it does exactly what it says on the tin 
you know what you're in for with an Eddie Murphy movie. And I feel like it largely delivers on it. That's, um, look, that's, that's good to hear. I feel like I've kind of been holding this one on my backlog for a little while now. Um, much like you, a big fan of Eddie Murphy. I remember watching the original movie when I was a kid and it was sort of one of those laugh out loud funny movies. Um, it's a shame that it's sort of got, uh, not so great reviews, but it hasn't put me off at all by giving this one a watch. It's definitely another one to add to the list. Yeah. And the criticism, because I, I look at some of the criticisms, because I say I quite enjoyed it. I laughed quite a lot. And I thought, what are people complaining about? And a lot of people seem to be complaining, saying, oh, they should never have made a sequel. They didn't need to do this and whatever. But I kind of think like whether there should have been a sequel is a different question. There is a sequel. It's here right now. And I kind of feel like I don't know what story would have satisfied anyone. I don't know what story would have worked any better than the one they, they presented. And there's just a lot of things in it. It's, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a real easy laugh. But Wesley Snipes, he's pretty funny in this. I haven't seen him since Expendables. He just does this walk thing. It just cracks me up every time. And then there's this incredible rendition of um, the Prince song, Get Off, which is quite extraordinary. It's worth it just for that. James Earl Jones. Darth Vader himself is back as the father, 88 years old. He's still funny. He still doesn't look that old to me, and his voice is still really good. He does this there's this news network item that comes on screen, and of course he did the voice of CNN with the this is CNN, and this news network is is ZNN, and so he does the voiceover for that, and it's, again, just for that alone. It's just little moments where it's real funny. Eddie Murphy does his usual stuff. You know, he, he plays a lot of the characters as he's always prone to do. He, he plays this barber just like he did in the original. He he plays um, this singer that gets together with a band and they, they perform a pretty funny song. Look, I feel like, I've yeah, I feel like I enjoyed it more than the ratings would suggest. And if you like Eddie Murphy or if you enjoyed the original, I feel like you'd get something out of this one, to be honest. I think that's the thing with a movie like this, isn't it? Like a movie like this doesn't need to be the the biggest blockbuster. Sometimes you just want a movie that's a little bit of fun. And you know, if you think back to the eighties when this first came out, then it it doesn't really probably translate in a PC sense to today. So as you say, you've got to take it for its face value. And, you know, I largely think of movies like this as, you know, you, you're kind of watching them for free in a sense. So it, it's a good time, um, no matter what. Yeah. And uh, the other thing I want to talk about, Dan, is the Yellowstone season three finale, because last time we spoke, I hadn't seen it and I'd sort of, um, I'd mentioned that I mentioned to you when I did that sort of season three review minus the finale that there hadn't been too much action. It had gone a little bit quiet and it was a bit more gentle, if you like. And you warned me at the time and you said, you know, buckle up um, and look, spoilers for anyone, look away now if you don't want to know the score. You were absolutely right. This show is great and this finale was absolutely superb because i think it's superb because it just comes out of nowhere and and all of a sudden before you can even sort of get over what's happened in the last 60 seconds we have three key family members three lead roles all on the verge of going out of the show so we've got we've got beth who is quite possibly dead she's you know she had that unmarked box come in that her new assistant inexplicably opened even though she tried to stop her we've got uh what's his name casey 
who's possibly dead after an attack at his office. And most shocking of all, our friend from last week, Clark Kent's dad, Mr. Costner himself, doing a good turn on the side of the road for someone. And uh, he's getting gunned down. And we we don't even know if he's going to survive the wounds. We do know that his smartphone that was in his pocket basically saved his life, which I find pretty ironic because he hates his cell phone. But Dan, I do have two questions for you. And I appreciate you watched it a while ago. But one, surely they're not going to write all three out of the show, okay? Probably not even two, but might they might they write one of them out? Will one of them not make it through? And my second question is, who is behind all this, you know, the drive-by shooting, the bomb? Is it Jamie? Is it, what's his name? Um, the guy, Sawyer from Lost, who's got this horrific haircut. Who is it? Who's done these? These are my questions. Well, I think, first of all, Paul, um, I think the, the ending like though it came out of the out of the blue was the most Yellowstone thing to ever happen because <laughs> this right. show is always high drama and high octane. Um, I think, you know, it's pretty hard to kill a Dutton and I think all three characters that are kind of in the firing line I think are just too main to get rid of. You might have one of them in a really serious condition, maybe a coma or something for a while, but I don't think they could get rid of any of them. You could, at a real point, if I was going to go really wild here, like would you go Kevin Costner? Because, you know, then it would be about the kids coming together to sort of manage the legacy. But is there a Yellowstone without Kevin Costner? I don't know if there is. I can't handle it. In terms of who it is, so I think it's my probably prediction would be it's on uh, Jamie's uh, dad, so his his mm. paternal father, and I think this is one of those classic Jamie situations where he's actually kicked off, he's kicked the hornet's nest, and I don't think he's quite realised how far this has all actually happened. And I actually think Jamie will be quite shocked to find out how quickly this is all swung into action and how much the family's now at risk I think the thing is though is Jamie would need to fix this problem to get back in the family and I don't think Jamie has the ability to come back from this no you're right ja- Jamie is either way whether he's involved he's in, he's in a lot of trouble and I dare say that our old mate um, Rip may have to get his shovel out again because I feel like he's going to be burying a few people in season four and I just I can't wait to see that because yeah, this was one of the most explosive TV series finales I can recall for a while. Probably the most tense since, probably since we had Negan lining everyone up in season six Walking Dead finale. This was this was epic, and yeah, when is season four coming out? I need answers. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully, well, the good thing is that season four is coming out this year, um, so hopefully, isn't too far for us to to find this and I, I think this just speaks to again how much of a fantastic tv show yellowstone is and if it's one that you haven't watched you you really should it's so much fun and it really is up there in that sort of top tier tv shows for me nice one well that's my top three picks for the week i'll um i'll hand the the talking stick over to you dan what have you been watching Kia for that. So I, Paul, on your recommendation and um, the recommendations from one of our other listeners, um, have started watching Superstore, or given it another crack, shall I say. So I watched the first episode, maybe two episodes, earlier in the year, 
didn't really stick. But then, you know, with, you know, you've been really hyping up the show. Other people I've been talking to have been hyping up the show. And so I'm just about finished season one. I, I don't love it, but I don't hate it as much as the first time that I watched it. And I think it's kind of grown on me. So I think I'm starting to become a bit more at one with the characters. And what I'm hoping for is that, you know how the first season of the US office, is just kind of a bit of a, a duplication of the UK version, and then they start doing their own thing, and they're not really sure what they're doing. What I'm hoping is Superstore has kind of that vibe where season one, it's only 10 episodes, we're just trying it out, because I see that they jump into 22 episode seasons in season two, or 24 or whatever, and... I'm hoping that they really sort of like go deeper. Like I've got some favorite characters and I've got some characters that I struggle with a little bit. For example, um, I really like the character who is the assistant manager, the sort of the, yes. I want to call her the, the Dwight of the, of the store. And she, she's writing you up for every, everything that you do. I think Dina, she's great. Tina, that's right. Tina. Um, I, the character I struggle the most, the most with actually is Glenn, the boss. I find like, there's a, there's a part of me that like really makes me laugh about sort of the, I think how intensely religious he is in that big sort of superstore context. And at the same time, he's, he's kind of just, uh, like it, there's something icky about him. Yeah. And so I'm hoping I can kind of get past that or it, it sort of all starts to sort of sit together, but it's okay. I am. I, I think I'm having a good time. Was I right about the voice when I said he sounds a bit like um, Fozzy the Bear? Fozzy Bear, sorry. <laughs> He's got a real Fozzy Bear voice for me. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. So yeah, look, I'll, I'll keep progressing with this one and see how I go. 113 episodes of this show, Dan. So um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how far you go before you bail. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I'm. The, I'll tell you some other characters. Actually, some other characters I really like. I really like. Is it? Is it? Shanae and Shanae, Shan, Shan, she's sorry, yeah, she, so she's pregnant and she's her boyfriend Bo, and they're getting engaged like that, like yep. such such great, um, such great characters. Anyway, Brilliant. the other show that has just started this week that I've been watching, uh, sorry, last week for the for the podcast listeners is the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So this is our new Disney Plus uh, Marvel TV show. Um, you know, we've just finished WandaVision, and now we're straight into the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And I tell you, Paul, this TV show is freaking epic. So this has, so where WandaVision was really, you know, doing something different, telling a, a more unique type of story, not very super, superhero-y to start with. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier goes straight into kind of a, an Iron Man, Captain America type vibe. Huge action scenes, great storytelling, great effects. It's so good. I'm, I'm only one episode in. And I can't speak more highly about this TV show. I can't wait to watch another episode this Friday. I, I'm so far out of the loop that I thought the Winter Soldier was like, I thought Captain America was the um, Chris Evans guy. Is this is this is someone different, right? This is someone different. Okay. I'm okay. embarrassing myself okay. on this podcast. Okay. We're going to have to give you just a, 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 a real quick sort of, um, so the Winter Soldier is actually um, who Captain America was fighting in, in 
uh, one of the early Captain America uh, movies. Right. And so he's the Winter Soldier. And so so who's, who's Bucky Barnes, who was Captain America's best friend. And so the Winter Soldier, his sort of special ability, he's got um, this robotic arm, shall we say, but it's all sort of built with Wakanda technology. And so it's, he's super strong and he's like a super soldier. And um, he, he actually worked for Hydra for a bit. He was under the... Uh, rule for a little while but he's he's now seen the light and he's come back and um the falcon is another ally of captain america but mm. spoiler for you and the so so captain america isn't around anymore and so now that basically the whole premise of this show is is someone going to pick up the mantle and should that be the falcon should it be the winter soldier what is the world like without captain america and much like One Division, it's such a great show because you're actually getting to see a bit more of these characters, get a bit more of their backstory, giving them some really good screen time. And even though you know the first episode we've only had one, we've already gone so deep on both of these characters. It's such a fun time. Highly recommended. I have catch up to do. I'm not going to ask any more embarrassing questions <laughs> because I've learned a lot in the last sixty seconds already, and I do I do intend to get there eventually. So uh, I'm. Put it this way, I'm glad to hear it's good because um, what I look at this as, for me, I look at this as a a test in terms of will the market get oversaturated because that's something that people have said often about the number of Star Wars franchises, you know, different series and things that are coming out. And I've always thought, I don't think it will become oversaturated. And so this is kind of like similar. There's so much of that Marvel's uh, cinematic universe and it, it seems like, each time it comes out, it's great quality and everyone's lapping it up. So that's that's a real positive. And I think this is the thing with the Disney Plus model is, and I say this, I, I don't want to trigger anyone who like, maybe loves shows like Supergirl or Arrow or um, any of those other Batwoman, whatever those type of shows where they're, mm. like B grade's probably too much of a push, but they're a little bit... Um, normal TV, whereas I feel like what Disney's doing is they're giving us movie quality content with this, the special effects, the acting, it's it's all so top tier that, uh, you know, you could easily sit this in with a an endgame, uh, Mar- you know, Marvel Avengers endgame movie and, and it, would, it wouldn't feel out of place. A lot of money at Disney. That, that's, that's the thing, right? Just like with The Mandalorian, the quality of every episode, I feel like they, over time over a long period of time, they just may continue to be just the, the most dominant, unstoppable of, of all of them, right? It's incredible. Yeah, indeed. Um, dum-dum-dum. Also, obviously progressing, obviously, progressing with my watch of Billions. So I'm up to season four of that show. So there's five seasons of that show out. About halfway through season four, same review as the last few episodes, absolutely loving it if you've got any interest in the stock market or you like shows like succession or anything like that like it's going to be good um i you, you asked me a question maybe on a couple of episodes ago about any sort of big names have come into the show and so we, we have had uh we have had a few um bigger bigger named actors come in we've had uh, john malkovich come into the show and that's that's been really great he's played a this um uh russian character who holds a lot of power very wealthy uh, but it's you know I, I online i sort of i've seen a few reviews which has said season four kind of lost its way a little bit mm. i haven't found that at all it's 
it's just such a fun watch and it's one of those shows where I already feel a little bit sad for when I'm going to finish it because I'm so used to them kind of being part of my life now and because we've we've slowly been going sort of through these five seasons I almost don't want it to end a bit like Yellowstone I don't want to lose these characters because they're all so unique they're all so fun the stories are so clever and there's lots of uh, lots of twists and turns I know for a fact, Dan, that you're pretty handy with an Excel spreadsheet, and I reckon you could plot out the dates and the number of episodes to coincide so that you're watching it perfectly synced up to when the new season arrives, and you could just go seamlessly through. I reckon that would be great. That would be smart. That would be smart. So that's about the main things that I've been watching, apart from, I guess, The the Walking Dead. I wonder if we should jump into that, Paul. Let us jump into... The Walking Dead. So obviously last week we 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 changed our format up a little bit and we reviewed the, the Zack Snyder Justice League movie. And so as a result, we now have two episodes of The Walking Dead to, to catch up on. Um, as always, this is my favorite part of the podcast, not because it's necessarily the greatest content on TV at the moment, but because I get to enjoy the Dan Whiting review of The Walking Dead. Dan, I'm going to let you kick us off with the should we just talk about the first episode first of all and just um let you let you sort of break that one down for us yeah so this episode was called one more and so um basically with maggie's map gabriel and aaron search for food and supplies to bring back to alexandria checking out one more location they chance upon a stash uh, faith is broken and optimism is fragmented and they're put to the ultimate test so this is ultimately, as the synopsis says, a Gabriel and Aaron uh, episode. I don't really care that much for Gabriel as a character. Um, I, I find Aaron a bit more interesting. In general, this is probably one of the the better episodes that's come out. I think it's tough, right, because we're still in that situation where you know, so so they're kind of we've got these two random characters who they haven't really bothered to explore in previous episodes, and now they're sort of giving us a whole hour about them. And same questions as always: Do I actually want to know what they're up to? But I think this was, I think there was a really good ending to this episode. Great special guests came into it. Great sort of um, tension moments, I guess. And I think I guess the thing is when. You know, you've got characters like Gabriel and Aaron. There is potential that one of them could die, as opposed to a, a Rick or a Michonne or or someone like that. So it always does make it interesting. I'm going to say, Paul, overall, not too bad of an episode. For those of you who are not familiar with Dan Whiting's ratings of The Walking Dead, that is a glowing review of an episode. To be honest with you, I, I agree. I, I thought it was good. Um, I I'm the opposite to you, though. I actually am fascinated more by Gabriel's character more so than than Aaron. Aaron, basically, other than his 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 new arm, is of less interest to me. I find Gabriel a little bit more fascinating. I found it a tense episode, which is always good, and that's I think because as you just touched on there, there's there's a chance because these are fringe characters, one of them may not make it, and because. Yeah, with respect, I think they are fringe characters. They've been they've been around a while. They've never been what I consider main cast, even though they are core characters within the group. And I thought the chemistry between the two of them was real good, especially when they were getting drunk. I really thought that was great. Um, 
as you mentioned, the special guests, I've really enjoyed that cameo from, from Robert Patrick. I, f- you know, I feel like he's just, he's made for this universe. He's got that great grizzled voice for the role that he played. I thought he was an interesting character and, 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 and yeah, given how crazy he was. And then when they started playing the old Russian roulette with the gun for the first time in a long time, I actually sat there thinking someone's going out tonight. Not everyone's going to make it out of here. I'll tell you what I did appreciate about Gabriel is I like that I like that he was a bit of a badass in this episode and he was making the hard decisions that you don't that we don't normally see from him particularly when he's playing the the preacher role or mm-hmm. or the more um we need to think about people and society and and all of those types of things so we got to see quite a, a darker side to him and that was good. I guess the reason I always feel a bit eh about Gabriel is because he's been so painful for most of the season. Of being, he's basically been the coward of the group so many times. Yeah. And so it was awesome to see him finally sort of step up. I think the one thing, um, like, like, I thought it was great that um, Robert Patrick, he, uh, he was probably the star of the whole episode for me as well. I, I, I enjoyed that twist. I'm always kind of intrigued in these Walking Dead episodes when they come across a stranger the stranger's always on the verge of killing themselves or killing somebody else or and it's so like like there's so much why for me like why all of a sudden is he is he does he need to have this big game of russian roulette with you and and what does what does it all mean but look at, at the end of the day it's the walking dead it's a 40 minute glimpse into these two characters we don't normally get to see much about and it was it was good. It was it was it was fine. It was fine. I, I I'm the same with you. I I you know why why did he need to have that attitude? I was I was kind of surprised that his character let uh, Gabriel and Aaron kill that boar. I feel like they I feel like they should also have expected someone to show up, given that they found this healthy, relatively well fed boar in a locked room. I mean, how is this thing surviving in this condition? But if that's my biggest gripe for this one, then then that's not. That's not too bad, I guess. And I think um, with a yeah, we've got a score here of eight, well, seven point nine out of ten on IMDb. That's 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 not too bad at all. So yeah, I, f- I found it a pretty pretty decent episode, even if it's not progressing the overall storyline further, which has been a criticism of ours for for this show and for for World Beyond a lot. I thought it was a an okay episode, and um, yeah, Gabriel, as you say, um, that whole. I find him fascinating again from the point of view of a man of faith uh, has that has has retained that faith even throughout these extraordinary time uh, time of zombies. I find that part of him really intriguing, and the fact that he has really stepped up he's he's he hasn't got that fear anymore, which makes him interesting so um so yeah so that's that's not too bad then for our, our first episode. This week's episode, Dan was an episode uh, called Splinter. And uh, in this one, we have um, Eugene, the king, Yumiko, and uh, one of these new characters, Princess, who are are captured. They've been separated. And Princess um, is, we find her in this train carriage, and it just all unfolds from there. Why don't you uh, talk us through your thoughts at this point, Dan? Paul, there was a moment in this episode, probably about 15 to 20 minutes into the episode, where... I was packing up the things on my desk, putting it all in a box, putting my hat on and saying, I'm done. 
I'm absolutely done. I'm done with this universe. I'm done with this show. I'm, I can't waste my time anymore. And as I was on the verge of, of having that, and I was on the verge of texting you, Paul, to say, I, I, I don't think I can do Walking Dead, Walking Dead reviews anymore. In fact, I can't even bring out the fire because it's so terrible. Um, but I'll, you know, at, at that point, I was like, at least see the episode through. And I actually thought that the second half of the, the episode, I actually thought was quite interesting. And so obviously, in this episode, if, if you watched it, we got to sort of see a bit more of um, Princess's sort of um, mental con- mental health conditions and some of the things she suffers from and a lot of the things that happened in the episode were kind of happening in her imagination. And I thought that was quite an interesting um, twist to the story. I think the problem is these stories are interesting but they're not worth a whole episode and it's just I this is probably unfair to the you know all of the cast and all the production crew and everyone they're trying to keep working on this but I don't think that these extra episodes were needed I don't think they've if anything they're kind of ruining the brand they're ruining the story sort of further the fact that they're kind of in you know again like they're shot with no more than ever sort of, you know, three or four people in one scene. It's It just makes it hard. I, I feel like I really wish we had video coverage because other weeks where you've been really ranting and raving and you've been basically striding around the room with anger, this this time you do look quite dejected. You look like a beaten person and you are just about done. I knew this was coming because I did my homework, Dan. I had a look, 5.4 out of 10. This is officially the lowest ever rating for a Walking Dead episode ever. And I have to admit, I am pretty much in that camp as well. The only thing I will say before I jump into criticizing it with you, I will say two positives. Firstly, I think it's really good that we're getting to to progress the story around the the, the Commonwealth a little bit. And we, we get to to hear about how these guys are operating. And, you know, that guy... the 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 guy the, the stormtrooper guy for want of a better word you know he's talking about things like paperwork and probations and reviews and we get to see him in his uniform properly and we get a sense for who's underneath that and you know he says oh I'm not at the strategic level and I'm a bit of a grunt and so it seems like personal development plans are still a thing in the in the workplace even in the zombie apocalypse and the second thing I will say is um, despite me not caring about her character because we only met Princess five minutes ago in the Walking Dead finale of 2020. To spend a whole episode on her is crazy. But I will say that the actress um, Paola Lazaro, who plays Princess, I think she is very good. I think she gives a really convincing performance. And uh, as you said, we get a real strong sense of her character and her mental condition and uh, her personality and her very violent tendencies. And so I think she's very convincing. It's just a shame this character hadn't come in much earlier. But um, but yeah, just like you, I just don't care enough for us to have that for a whole episode. I feel like if if we if you'd played the last ten minutes of that episode, the last ten minutes, and have that as the opening episode, uh, the opening ten minutes of a say a forty-five minute episode, as opposed to the thirty-seven minutes that we got served up, and have those carriage doors open up to show. Uh, Eugene and, and the King and Yumiko all in trouble. I feel that's a great setup for the episode. I'd be more invested, but to, to have us tricked into thinking that the King and Eugene were actually part of this episode and then 
then it's not that's not good enough then I'll tell you I did actually enjoy and this was a fun way I think to use the king to come in like he came in clutch and just went to town on that uh, stormtrooper and at, at that time it felt I'm like oh this is so out of character for Ezekiel but it, and it was he just really was smashing smashing this character and when it wasn't it was like ah got him but it was a cool way to kind of give him quite a an intense action scene which he doesn't normally get like you know like he's been in lots of big action scenes but this is like a one of those real like rage scenes and i imagine that that would have been quite fun to film i i do have questions about the the commonwealth and the stormtrooper armor and i'm intrigued about the the batman style (laughs) um spikes on their on their gauntlets and i then start to wonder like where are you you 3d printing all of this armor where why is it white why are you instantly kind of locking people up if that's kind of if you're if you're a big powerful commonwealth this is always your kind of start position i have questions i have a lot of questions it reminds me of well i don't know why i've made this link but it's kind of like the types of questions i might have about um in the handmaid's tale with the Gilead and, and the way that society functions and the types of things that happen, like to actually think things through to how they've got to this point. Um, I fi- yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a number of fascinating questions. How are they getting their whites so white? I mean, they must have, I guess the supermarket has the best washing powder in, in stock and all sorts, but um, there's a number of questions. The, the, the 3D printing is a really interesting idea. I figured they just uh, had found all this stuff in storage, but um, I, to go back to the original point that you made, I don't know where it's gone wrong. I feel like I feel like the last time we reviewed The Walking Dead, I think I may have said that it's the people that are writing it and the people that are signing off and saying that this is okay. How is this acceptable to them? I feel like looking back on it, you know, last year we were reviewing Well Beyond. I feel like arguably they had better stories. And that series is only 10 episodes old. Um and I just feel like this, I just, I wish that all the characters were together. And um, obviously that's just not the way the season's being filmed. And I guess COVID has played a part of that. So I'll, I'll give them that much. But um, I just, yeah, I just wish the group was still together. I agree. And I think what kind of ends up kind of sucking in the scheme of things for, you know, particularly the, the actress that plays the princess is... I actually think she did a great job. I think, you know, mm. give us a bit more time with that character. And this this whole sort of specialist, specialised episode all around her probably would have been quite interesting. And again, it's it's nothing to do with the, the cast or the acting. It's it's just the storytelling for me. And it's just, it, it hasn't made sense for a while. And it's, it's frustrating. Yeah. Well, we have two episodes left of this season. And then we have to wait for the final season, which will be 24 episodes long. And so given that we only have two episodes to go, the character that now I have to simply see is Negan, because we saw him in the first episode of this run, of, of you know, the second run of season 10, but we haven't had a full episode about him for some time. And I think you mentioned that we we should be getting like an origin story or something. So something like that. I'm, from what I understand, it's something to do with his um, his wife is also playing alongside him in this role, mm. from what I understand. But that might be the final episode. So no doubt we're in for another roller coaster ride before we hit that episode. I guess the the good news is that on the 12th of April here in New Zealand, we're getting Fear the Walking Dead back, which you know there's a, quite a few characters that we do enjoy in that show. So it'll be interesting to see where that's all heading. 
yeah, I'm really excited to have Fear the Walking Dead back. Um, be good. I'm, I'm more invested there right now than I am in this one, which is, which is a shame. We've talked about it a lot, and I guess we'll see next week what The Walking Dead serves us up. And so I guess it must mean it's time for this week's movie of the week review. Yeah, so each week, uh, Paul and I take turns choosing movies of the week. If you want to find out what movie we're going to be watching this week, then you should join our Discord channel where we post that every Monday so that you can watch the movie and join along with us as we take a deep dive. So this week's movie of the week is the 1993 movie Tombstone. Indeed. So during a couple of uh, peak performances that we did uh, a few months ago, I think we had one was uh, Michael, Michael Bine, Michael Bean. How, how are we saying his name, Dan? Bine. 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 Michael Bine. Okay. Yep. And the other was Val Kilmer. And it became quite apparent uh, during both of those that I had somehow missed the memo on the movie uh, Tombstone. And, and not only were you picking this up, Dan, but we also had uh, Paddy from Time Travelling Tink Podcast writing in Choosing Tombstone as well. And uh, we couldn't put that right at the time because the movie wasn't available anywhere in New Zealand until last month when we had the release of uh, Disney Plus Star and the movie's up. So now we can review Tombstone and it seems quite fitting, therefore, that uh, Paddy... Uh, who, by the way, replies to every peak performance we put on our Facebook page. Uh, Paddy is actually here to join us on the podcast to review Tombstone. So welcome, Paddy. How are you? I, I'm not too bad now, guys. How about yourselves? Pretty good. Thank you. Very Pretty good. good. Excellent. Excellent. So Before I we... have to say, like, yeah. Oh, no, no, you go, Paddy. No, I was going to say, like, I've been, like, literally counting down the hours that we could actually you know, do this, because when I heard you mention it, oh, we should get Paddy involved, and I'm like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Before we sort of dive into a bit of a, a deep dive about this movie, and we um, share our reflections, I'll just read out a, a quick synopsis, so that for anyone who hasn't seen Tombstone, which, if you haven't, I urge you to stop the podcast right now and go and have a watch. It's It really is a... A fantastic movie. So the story here is uh, Wyatt Earp and his brothers Morgan uh, and Virgil have left their gunslinger uh, ways behind them to settle down and start a business in the town of Tombstone, Arizona. While they aren't looking to find trouble, trouble soon finds them. Um, they become targets of a ruthless cowboy gang. Now together with Wyatt Earp's best friend, Doc Holliday, the brothers pick up their guns once more to restore order to a lawless land. I'm intrigued to hear, particularly you, Paul, as a as a newcomer to this. I can't wait to hear Paddy's thoughts as a as a super fan, much like I am. Mm. It's going to be good. I think so. Yeah, and uh, I will say right from the start, Paddy, that you come from a much more organised podcast than us. Uh, so we have no real plan of attack here. There's no recap. There's no trivia spot. You just jump in whenever wherever you want, um, Paddy. I will hand over to you first of all to give us your thoughts. Cool. Well, I first. This is this is how long I've been watching this movie. When it became available to rent on VHS, my older brothers uh, got it. Now I'm nine years younger than like the next one of my siblings up, and so like obviously there's a lot of times where you know don't tell mom what we've rented. Um, so <laughs> uh, yeah, no, they they rented this, and yeah, I must have been about you know, six going on seven, and I've been watching this movie ever since. Um, it was like I'm a huge Kurt Russell fan. Like, you put that man in anything and I'll watch it. Um, and the same with, like, you know, Sam Elliott and even, like, with, you know, Val Kilmer and Michael Bain and a lot of the people in it. 
so like it's just it's such a good movie like it's just so like the gunfights in it are great like the acting is is top notch like obviously you know the peak performances um is i'd say it's nearly everyone's peak performance um but yeah like so my love for this movie just knows no bounds i watch it every night before my birthday Uh, (laughs) or if it's on television i will also watch it you know so that's the way it goes but no, like again, it's just like I've seen a lot of versions of you know the Earp story, and you know you've got stuff like the Gunfight, mm-hmm. the OK Corral, my darling Clementine, even like the Kevin Costner movie Wyatt Earp. But for me, this one just felt like the most, um, I won't say authentic, but it just felt like the most gritty, you know. Mm. Uh, and I do include our ver- our version of the Gunfighters and Doctor Who, which we do not speak about, bar just that statement Correct. right there. Correct. <laughs> um. Yeah, but like, but like, it's just like this movie has such an impact on me that there's a video game that I play. I, I would say kind of not annually, but as much as I can. Uh, Gun on the PS2, and there's a section in that where you have to like you know break up a gang fight at the back of a, a corral. So I go there with my double barrel shotgun and you know, my revolver, and it's just like that that scene, the gunfight, the OK corral, playing over in my head over and over again. Brilliant. It's an interesting um, movie, isn't it? But. Because it it came out at a you know obviously a a, a western that's come out in the nineties. It's a bit more of a, a a modern take, obviously, but it's still um, it's got a much more of a Hollywood vibe than a lot of other other westerns. And I think sometimes it sits in one of two camps for people: is this is one of the greatest westerns I've ever seen, or this is too too Hollywood for me. And I'm intrigued to see what you think, Paul, because I think um, watching it again, like I'm with Patty, this is a movie I've just love for so many years um and i think it's got a, a some great throwbacks um sort of scenes it's got a great soundtrack i'm intrigued to see what you think paul coming in fresh to this one yeah so i will put you at your misery straight away i loved it i had a great time it is a brilliant movie so there's there's the the relief factor that i'm not coming in with the hate i'm going to jump into i'm going to jump into what you may consider a criticism, but it's in line with what you just said, Dan, because for me, it's actually a strength. So you, you said how uh, it, it's um, it's a little bit more Hollywood than some other Westerns. Um, and I do think it, I think one of the things is maybe it's aged a bit. And obviously it was 1993. But when I think about other Westerns around that time, like Unforgiven, which was uh, 92, um it looks a bit more aged, but it didn't bother me. And the reason for that is because I feel like it, it felt right with the look it had like it didn't it didn't have quite the look i was expecting next to um like paddy you said kevin costner's white Herp, or or even movies like the quick and the dead or anything else that came around from that time there was quite a run of westerns in the in the early 90s actually but if anything that look and feel and the color of this movie actually it really appealed to me because it it was somewhat reminiscent of one of my favorite movie trilogies, the Sergio Leone Spaghetti Western trilogy. So that sort of that good, the bad and the ugly type finish to the visuals, which was somewhat, um, somewhat brighter and deeper contrasts on the screen. So again, I'm thinking if you, if you imagine the, the, the duller colors of a movie like Unforgiven versus the, the vibrancy of a fistful of dollars tombstone for me definitely leans towards the sergio leone look and i think that that is a real strength and that that look and feel of this movie plays throughout and it really for me raises the value of the watch i had a great time um no i agree with you there paul about the uh the sergio leone thing because one thing about his trilogy of movies was that the actors even though like you know there's some 
obviously they're ma- you're wearing makeup and stuff, but they look very dirty. I guess like you know, there's a lot of you know grime and grit and like that desert frontier dust on them. And the same thing kind of applies here in the sense of you've got the Earp brothers. Um, you know, you've got um Bill uh, Bill Paxton, uh, Sam Elliott, and uh, uh, Kurt Russell. Even though like they're all dressed in, like their finery when they come through, they're still covered in that desert. Um, kind of dust that frontier grime mm. and it's really really cool to see like and it, it just lends again that authenticity that you wouldn't have gotten say in some of like you know obviously the when you ever hear western you think of like you know guys like john wayne or gary cooper or jimmy stewart and even whatever setting they're in they're still very kind of bright and clean versus like tombstone and i think like like that surge of kind of westerns in the 90s some of them were hit and some of them were really miss and again, it comes down to, anything to the, the level of authenticity that people would kind of put into it. Yeah, I think the, the the instant Kurt Russell came on screen, his face was like, it was pretty orange. I mean, he would give Trump a run for his money. And <laughs> it was, it, it really struck me, but I I, I really, I, I really loved that. And also the style of the direction, again, in line with those older Westerns, really harsh cuts from one thing to another, close up in on eyes with hard lighting. And, and I really think it's a, uh, a great look and feel and i guess we'll talk about a number of the cast as well and there are some big names in here but can i just quickly say one of the great things about this movie for me was sam elliott i love a character like sam elliott's character he's dan and i uh, have been watching yellowstone and he's kind of the lloyd uh, from Yellowstone for me, Sam Elliott's sort of look and feel and that just just a great, great voice. He was uh he's not the biggest name in that cast, but he was fantastic. I think there's there's essentially a star side of cast, isn't it? Like there's so many uh uh actors and, and some of them like there's Billy Bob Thornton, there's um I mean, it's just people that you kind of forget about being in this movie, but it's made up of so many so many great actors. And I think you're right, Paul. Like Sam Elliott is such a a great example of as soon as he starts talking, I instantly feel confident in everything he's saying. Yeah. If he wants to be the sheriff and he tells me what the law is, I am going with it. There's, there's no disputing what 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 it's all about. And there's actually a couple of uh, Western legends in the movie as well. You've got um Robert Mitchum as the narrator. Uh, Harry Carey Jr. is Fred White, the initial sheriff, and you've got uh Charlton Heston as Henry Hooker, the guy that uh, provides some sanctuary, but like I, like I again, my dad is such a huge Western nut. Like he'd uh, record anything, and one of the first things I ever saw Sam Elliott was a mini series about the life of Sam Houston, the Texas general that fought against uh, the Mexicans. And again, it's just like you know that mustache, that just that that gravelly voice. It's like I'll I'll follow you anywhere. Fair enough. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I I think like um to your point earlier, Paul. Like, there's so many great character moments in this, and I think you know of all the things, one of the characters that always makes me like really feel from the every every scene he's in is I think Val Kilmer is Doc Holliday because every time like so he's got tuberculosis and he's he's just pasty and he's always sweating and he looks like everything is hard and it just reminds like I don't know if you've ever been really sick uh, with like like a bronchitis or really and it's just like everything's hard but. He is. I think he's the he's the smash hit superstar out of this whole out of the whole Tombstone movie. Um, I just think he he nails his performance. Yeah, he has a great a great voice and a great bravado uh, as Doc Holliday in this in this movie. The 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 way he delivers his lines a bit of a stretch here, but go with me. He kind of reminds me a little bit of the way Eugene from The Walking Dead delivers some of his lines. Very well articulated sentences. Um, 
he he is very very good in this movie and i know we did a, a peak performance as i said on valcoma which sort of triggered this whole conversation and i feel i feel you're both right i, I feel tombstone for valcoma would be in that three two one for sure yeah he's like he's he's got some of the best dialogue and most memorable dialogue from it and even though like you were saying there um Dan about how you know everything for the character of Doc Holliday is such a difficult thing because if he's got tuberculosis his interactions with especially with Johnny Ringo he just makes it seem so effortless mm. like you know like that scene where they're, they're in like you know essentially the um, who can do the best gun skills and he's just there with like his little fucking you know cup and it's just like <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right and I think you know then like speaking of Johnny Ringo like like Michael Bean he's he's actually not in this as much as I remembered like you know mm-hmm. he's actually you know the 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 two I see the second in charge of the Cowboys but he's actually kind of like he's in the start then he sort of disappears for an hour and then sort of comes back in mm. um but Again, just another great like screen presence, and you know, really holds his own. And I think, you know, when they talk about you know, and you you mentioned it before, the zooming in on the eyes and just kind of focusing on on the the little motions that people do, and the gunfight is is truly epic. And actually saying that that you know the the wink that Doc Holliday gives um, yeah. Billy Clanton, absolutely incredible. Like just the and then why it's like. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and like again i think credit to uh, thomas hayden church for like his you know that he initially has that panic in his eyes and then all of a sudden it's just like the dead eye stare and that's what kind of triggers the whole thing and it was just like oh yeah Kurt it Russell, makes me want to oh, you go down no sorry it makes me it makes me like you know patty you talk about playing uh gun it makes me want to start playing red dead redemption again yeah because i just like anything to kind of just embrace the the cowboy way um and you know we're all big like yellowstone fans and just like it's the cowboy lifestyle it's just so epic i was just going to say about kurt russell obviously as, as the lead in this movie and i feel like he he's in peak kurt russell uh in this movie he really is and he has perhaps the most quintessential 80s face and eyes of any actor I can think of. I feel like he could walk on stage with Duran Duran and would look totally in the right place. He's absolutely brilliant in this movie. His delivery of lines is great. And we haven't done a peak performance on Kurt Russell, Dan. I feel like there could be one coming in the future for that. Oh, definitely. I think he'd be a... He's got some. He's got a great back catalogue of movies, um, and I think you're right. Like Kurt Russell is Wyatt Earp is so good, and I remember talking about other westerns that came out at the same time. I think in '93, a Wyatt Earp movie came out as well with Kevin Costner at the same time, and I always struggled to watch that movie because of my love for Kurt Russell as Wyatt Earp. I wonder now, with my new Yellowstone love, where that Wyatt Earp movie would sit in the in the scheme of things, um, but. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed his performance. I actually have a slight moral objection to watching the Kevin Costner version. He he tried to get the Tombstone production shut down. Oh. Because uh, he, he was competing, he, he was making like a competing film. So he tried to get it shut down. And I was like, I know I love Kevin Costner, but I think that's a bit of a dick move. <laughs> that's a real John Dutton move. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. This, this, this is America, Patty. We don't share film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh that's good um i think obviously we've got um bill paxton who played morgan earp so uh, bill paxton's so young in this film mm. and i think he plays the the younger brother of the earp brothers so well and kind of the a bit more naive a bit more 
um, kind of willing to give things a go. But he, I, I always kind of really felt for him as trying to live up to the, I guess, the, the ERP name and, um, and, and do the right thing. And I guess ultimately, all of the events in, in Tombstone kind of need to happen to really turn uh, Wairu back into the, the the kick-ass cowboy that he really is, I guess. Well, like, even like that's like a really good point because like, even in the scene, like after, immediately after the gunfight is over, like Wyatt just goes to you know Morgan, like okay, you know keep it together because like obviously Morgan fires the last shot and he's like shocked with the fact that he's just killed uh, Frank McClory and it's like, you know, like, okay, just take it easy now, Morgan. And it's like, he's not bred for that lifestyle. No matter how much he wants to emulate the brothers, he's not bred for it. I love, I love the way you're just able to, you're just reeling off all the names without any, it's just effortless, Paddy. You're so deep into this movie. I can see now you have been watching it since you were six or seven. Um, I'd like to, I'd like to just jump quickly to the end before I forget the, the, the closing credits. I can't say I've ever seen closing credits quite like that before where we have these prolonged close-up shots of, of, of Wyatt and Virgil and Morgan and Doc Holliday uh, riding towards the camera and it pans across all four of their faces over and over and over and I really appreciated it and I, I'd i like a lot of other movies to do that where you know maybe one or two of the characters in the movie have perhaps died throughout the course of the movie but at the closing credits you get to see the main characters back together in their prime as the credits roll I really I really liked that. I thought it was a nice touch. It actually had a bit of a, a Tarantino feel to me. Obviously, this is probably more influenced Tarantino films, but just the way, just with the, the big yellow lettering across the screen and just, you know, the real sort of cool guy look of, as you say, you know, walking down the road or, or riding your horse. Um, you can see where maybe Tarantino's drawn some inspiration in some of some of his work. No, for sure. Uh, the other the other thing you mentioned, Paddy Charlton Heston, you know, shows up for a cameo. That that must be one of his last movies. I can only think of Planet the Apes that I've seen him in uh, later than this. But yeah, I didn't expect to see him show up. Yeah, so I think around that time he did this. He had Wayne's World two. There was True Lies. <laughs> there okay. was, um, but no, I think no Planet of the Apes was definitely his last one. Mm. because which again is ironic i think that movie like he espouses the the dangers of guns while being the chairman of the nra (laughs) incredible incredible and the other guy uh you mentioned robert mitchum who Mm -hmm. you know has been in so many westerns and i think i actually know him best from cape fear uh and and of course the the original cape fear even before that um he was in his late 80s doing the narration on this on this one but um just so many people showed up. Dan, you mentioned Billy Bob Thornton. Diana and I watched this and we we saw the credits roll and I saw his name. I was like, I didn't even spot him in this movie. So he must have looked so different or so young that I didn't even spot him. Oh, he he was the um the gambler in the hotel that, you know, White and his brothers kicked the guy out and then they oh. take over um hosting it. And he actually looked um a, a little bit bigger than he normally does. So Right. You know, when I was, I was like, oh god, I, for, I forgot about Billy Bob Thornton, but he he plays quite a different character in this to his. But you can you can hear it in his voice. He's still got that kind of, uh, what's the word that that kind of uh, arrogant sort of cheekiness to his voice that that is very sort of Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah. So yeah, I, like overall, I, it was definitely. I, I'm so glad to be able to watch this movie again. I. I'm with you, Patty. I could watch this every every year. I think is is like in in the kind of the the Western realm. 
this kind of hit ticks all the boxes for me because it's um you know often with a, a, a western let's say something like unforgiven which is awesome but it's a little bit slower pace whereas i think with tombstone you kind of get action slow down action slow down action slow down and you kind of get the the best of all worlds with it and mm. so that's what makes it for me a a, a rewatch all the time oh yeah because like like i like i've watched it so many times now like that you know you there's one funny thing is i can never stop i can never not laugh at it it's just at the start of the gunfight when they're all kind of eyeing each other up and you have a scene there where like there's uh, Frank McClory, uh, one of the cowboys, he's wearing his hat. Then the next scene is him not wearing his hat. And it's actually from a shot later in the gunfight where Morgan shoots him. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, and then the editing goes back to the start of the gunfight again. And I was like, I, I can't stop laughing at it because it just seems so out of place. But like, we like we've spent what like, but maybe fifteen minutes now talking about this movie and talking about some of the cast and like it only just scratches the surface because you've got uh, Powers Booth who plays Carly Bill Brosis, the the head of the Cowboys. He's a fantastic villain in this, and like even then like he's like you know completely kind of overshadowed by the Earp Brothers and Doc Holliday and Michael Bean and uh, this kind of stuff. And it's one of those. It's one of these movies that you know. I'll never get tired of watching it. You know, like I'll never do a skim through because I always just want to watch it start to finish. Whereas like, you know, some movies I, that I love, it's like, I only want to watch a certain section of it with tombstone. It's no, I'll just start and I'll finish it. Yeah. And uh, you know, there there are so many other actors, you know, Jason Priestley's in there, Dana Delaney, uh, Stephen Lang, but powers booth is a good, good shout because I haven't seen much of his stuff. And when I think of him, I actually think of, uh, Deadwood, uh, when he played, um, uh, was it side psych, Tolliver, Tol- like Tolliver, yeah, Tolliver, yeah, um, and in this movie, Powers Booth, his arrogance and his laugh, actually, again, jumping to The Walking Dead, had a real Negan feel to him when he's smiling with that big smile. He had a, he was great in this. He was really, really dislikable, right? You know, speaking of Walking Dead as well, you've also got Michael Rooker in yes. this as well. So, yes. um, so great Walking Dead connection. Yeah, no, there's a lot of a lot of good lot of good actors and actresses who we could talk about this for for ages, eh? Yeah, and, and like you even just mentioned Stephen Lang as like Clanton. I was like, I love Stephen Lang. He's fantastic, and another like just like solid, dependable. Whatever movie he's in, he's always going to give his best. Mm. One of the things that didn't didn't wasn't clear to me how it sort of happened, and I don't know if I if I looked away for a moment or what, but how all of a sudden. What uh, at the end of the movie is now, you know, he's 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 going back to uh, what's her name? Is it Josephine? Um, yeah. And and what had happened with his 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 wife at that point seemed unclear to me. And Paddy, you sent through to Dan and I uh, the 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 link to the deleted scenes, and I watched those deleted scenes, and there was a scene in there where where Wyatt is going through the chest of drawers and and finds more of that. Um, What's that stuff? You know. uh, laudanum. Yeah, that's the one. And I just felt like that that would have been a scene for me that could have easily have been included because the scene between the two of them and the, the, the dialogue between the two of them that shows, you know, how they're, they're, they're sort of drifting apart, I think that that would have helped made that final scene because it kind of felt like a bit out of place that it was, that he was, you know, seeing this other woman. I guess it's interesting, right? Because I think, you know, those scenes that you sent through for us on YouTube – when there's and there's probably more than like five minutes of like unused scenes, but like when it's five minutes, I always just think, could we've just included this? Like it, it adds enough value to the story that it makes no sense it would end up on the the cutting room floor. Um, I think what was interesting about it is, 
I it's one of those movies where you actually end up wanting Wyatt to, you know, leave his current wife to go with his other lady because she seems much nicer. And I think it sort of it, it play it plays that out um, quite well. And I, <laughs> I think it's because they kind of instantly make um, Wyatt's wife kind of unlikable for some reason. I don't know. I don't know how you guys found it, but yeah, yeah, she kind of felt like a bit of a a burden on him and didn't, um, obviously, with her addiction and yeah. Yeah, like you know, even from the start, like with the minute, like she's just on screen, like her first line of dialogue is like kind of she pushes. I think she pushes Morgan out of the way so she can speak to Wyatt, and I'm like, okay, cool, yeah. mm-hmm. right? You're the real villain of this movie. <laughs> yeah, although played by a great actress again, another mention, uh, Paula Malcolmson, uh, the actress who played uh, the the character Ali. Uh, of course, another one from from Deadwood, um, for played Trixie in Deadwood. So um, another great actress to to watch out for. Well, she plays. Um, she plays Virgil's wife. She oh, plays, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes, plays, yes, yes. That's yeah. the one I was thinking of. Yes. Yeah. Virgil. Yeah. Uh, Dan, uh, Dana Wheeler-Nicholson is uh, Correct. That's the one I was thinking Yeah. Yeah. No, because, like, again, like, um, like not only is she in Deadwood, but she's also in, like, the the season three of Sons of Anarchy. She plays um, the the old lady for um, Jax's dad when he was in Belfast. Mm. There was another deleted scene Doc Holliday had uh, again, you know, when he was leaving his wife, you know, and he goes, have you no kind words to say to me before I ride away? I calculate not. And uh, again, it was just such a simple line, as you said, Dan, that just, just put it in, just keep it in. Why, why not? There's any, it was literally five minutes max, wasn't it? So yeah, it's a shame. I think that's the great thing about um, any Doc Holliday line. It's, it's sort of quite Shakespearean in the way that he always delivers them. Mm. And it's, they're also backhanded, which I think is is the great thing about that character. But, but it's it's not even like his Shakespearean dialogue. It's like there's just some simple things. It's like where was himself and one of uh, Wyatt's posse. They break into a, um, a room and like there's a cowboy there, and your man just goes, "Don't move!" And not, Doc Holliday just goes, "Nonsense! By all means, move!" And he just shoots yeah. him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. Cool. So, um. Dare I dare I even ask what what's this on the the guns Kimbo scale for everyone? I think this is every single gun that appears in the movie on, on the scale for me anyway. Like. Nice. I'm the same. I'm the, I have to say I'm the same. I feel somewhat silly that I never got to have seen this, given that I've watched all those other westerns from the nineties. I don't know how this one escaped me, um, but I'm I thank you both for bringing it to my attention. It gets all the guns from me. Yeah, all the, all the guns from me as well. And speaking of all the guns, there there actually was that scene of uh, Doc Holiday, like at the OK Corral, when he's actually firing, and I he probably had about twenty four shots in his uh, yeah. two two six yeah. shooters. Which, which, and so and that's the that sort of goes with the guns combo scale nicely. Yeah. Oh well, that was uh, really really great, um, Paddy. Big thank you to you for for giving up some time to come and talk to us about this on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, guys. Like, whenever it comes to, like, stuff like, you know, obviously a Kurt Russell movie, I'm always down for it. But, again, it's just always nice to hang out, you know? Awesome. Well, we'll, we'll let you get back to, to the TARDIS. And uh, what? so tell me, what story are you and Trisha reviewing next on Time Travelling Team? So, coming out, um, just one second. What day, this is going out on Friday, yeah? This will be coming out Friday. So, right, yeah. So, coming out on uh, Monday is the Abominable Snowman. Yes, the Abominable ah. Snowman, uh, awesome. which is 
Yeah, it's going. It's actually again, it's another one of the lost ones. There's only one existing episode at the moment, but uh, apparently it's up for the animation side of things. So that could be interesting. Right, and so that's still the the second Doctor. So how many yeah. how many how many more roughly till we make it through to John Pertwee third? Doctor? Oh, so we have this by. I'm just trying to work it out in my head now. This is story thirty eight, I think. So we have about another. 12 stories after this one of uh, Patrick Troughton before we get to John Pertwee's era. And then we can get into the Russell Gummidge era of Doctor Who. That'll be great. Exactly. Yeah. It was a secret agent doctor, which is <laughs> his Venetian Aikido. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Paddy. No problem. Thanks again. I'll talk to you soon, okay? Well, it's always awesome to have Paddy on the show, uh, Paddy and Trisha from Time Travelling Temp uh, and Epic Team. If you don't listen to their podcast, make sure you go and subscribe. It's a, it's a great one for all the Doctor Who fans out there. So I'm going to move on to the newsroom, Paul, and as per usual, I guess I'll kick us off. Nice. So a movie that you and I are both looking forward to watching, uh, nobody has um, – come out and stars our much loved Bob Odenkirk from Better Call Soul and Breaking Bad and I don't want to go into this movie at all because I don't I know we both want to watch it we want to avoid spoilers but it's getting some pretty great reviews and a reviews come out from IGN I just want to read this tagline to it and it says Better Call Soul question mark more like Better Call an Undertaker because Bob Odenkirk is here to wick some ass and nobody and that's that's the only sentence I need on this movie. That's the only review I need, the only information. I can't wait to see I can't wait to see this movie. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be a good time. And The trailer cut is brilliant. The trailer cut is brilliant and we love Bob Odenkirk, obviously, so we're always gonna watch it, but to hear positive such positivity around it is so exciting. It's already sitting at like an eighty-eight percent on the tomato meter on Rotten Tomatoes, so so that's a that's a really good sign. So, expect a, a review on the podcast when this finally makes its way over here. Um, speaking of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which we talked about earlier, that has now become the most watched series premiere on Disney Plus, outperforming. Uh, the Mandalorian season two and Wonder Vision, which is pretty epic, and another sign, Paul. You got to get on board. Definitely a sign. If it's if it's outstripping the Mandalorian, I would have thought the power of the Star Wars universe fandom would uh, leave that one at number one. So that's I'm I'm well out of the loop. I've got some work to do. Um, a little bit of news around Justice League, the Zack Snyder cut, which we had a whole episode on last week. Hopefully you've you've listened in. And that movie now has a higher audience demand than Wonder Woman 1994 had um, after three days of post-release. So this is how big the Justice League movie is in comparison to the not so favorably Wonder Woman 1984 like this is huge this is this is great news and linked to that and we mentioned this in our review someone's done some analysis on on the Zack Snyder Justice League and over 10% of the movie pool is in slow motion slow motion and that that 10% equals 24 minutes and 7 seconds that is incredible that that is incredible if you were to think about sitting down and watching that in one in one chunk that would be unbearable spread across 4 hours obviously less <laughs> you you notice it way less but obviously 
just like yourself, Dan, when you mentioned it last week, a lot of people have noticed this. And for someone to go through and count it up, I love that passion. I love that. I love it. Data is beautiful. Um, it looks like, you know, there's always been talk with the Zack Snyder uh, Justice League cut. Will we get to see um, a director's cut of the Suicide Squad? Um, it looks like, no, we won't. That is the only vision of the Suicide Squad. And I, it probably kind of makes sense, to be honest. We've got James Gunn is bringing out a new vision of the, the Suicide Squad, a, a new reimagining it. I don't think, unfortunately, it probably really adds anything at this point to to, to re-release that. So no such luck. Mm. Here's a bit of news that you'll be interested in, Paul. Mm-hmm. Vin Diesel's son will oh. play young Dominic Toretto in Fast and the Furious 9. Nine? Are they making a nine? Oh, okay, no, Fast. Okay, I did know about this. Okay, I thought this was like a new spin-off or some prequel series. That's going to go crazy. Okay, brilliant. Okay, that's. I mean, that's actually quite nice, isn't it? That's quite nice if he's going to play the son. Yeah, so his son is um, Vincent Sinclair. And so they actually have had someone play uh, young Dominic Toretto in Fast and the Furious 7. Uh, but now this is the, the first time, obviously, his son's going to play that role. And so apparently he was nine years old when um, when he filmed the whatever role he has in that movie. So that should be interesting. Mm. And then a final bit of news for me. This is about Black Widow, another great Marvel movie. So more homework for you, Paul. Is so we've been talking about for a while when Black Widow keeps getting delayed. Um, is it going to come out on streaming? What's going to happen? It looks like they've finally they've moved the movie again by a few days. It's now going to release on the 9th of July. But the great news is it's going to release in theaters and on Disney Plus premiere, which means it's probably going to be like that movie Mulan, where if you want to watch it on Disney Plus, you're going to have to you're going to probably have to pay a premium here in New Zealand. I think that might have been around forty dollars, mm. maybe fifty. But look, this is great news. I'm I'm definitely going to be buying it. I'm definitely going to be watching it. I I'm so excited to watch Black Widow. This is going to be a, another great Marvel story. It's going to be awesome. So July. So that's given me a good at least three months to get up to date and watch these things that you've told me to watch. I feel like I've I've talked enough. It's time to get on with it. It's time to get the job done. It's time. But that is me for the news desk, Paul. How about you? Um, only a couple of little bits and pieces. I got out a release date for Clint Eastwood's new movie, Cry Macho. Um, not until October the 22nd. But this is Eastwood playing a one-time rodeo star. Um, and I, I'm just so excited because... We've, how many times have we been through this conversation? I feel like we went through it with Gran Torino. Uh, I feel like we, we we went through it again. And, and Clint just keeps coming back and back. You know, we, had, we had him in The Mule most recently. And each time he, he delivers a great performance. Age 90 now. Um, and so that's really exciting. I, I'd love to see this movie. And we've got to wait till October now. Talking of 90 years old. A uh, quick mention for Captain James Tiberius Kirk himself, William Shatner, 90 years old this week. Great age, great age, great guy. Um, what else do I have here? Um, so one of your uh, favourite actors, Mr. Tom Hardy, one of my favourite actors, he is joining um, Forrest Whitaker in a Netflix crime movie called Havoc. I love Forrest Whitaker. Tom Hardy is great. A crime drama on Netflix called Havoc. I can't wait for that. I'm really excited about that. And I think the last thing I had here 
which may be of interest to you as well, Dan. Um, so HBO's The Last of Us series, um, they are going to adapt dialogue from the original gra- from the original game that I'm well aware that you've played. And so I think that's quite exciting for for fans of the game when you can actually incorporate the, the original material because it makes it so much more real. And I thought, even though I've never played the game, I think that's quite a nice little bit of fan service. I like that sort of stuff. Awesome. It'll be interesting to see how how closely aligned it is. And I think we're in for a, a wild ride if they do game two. So um, good times. So um, in the mailbag this week, so over the last few weeks, we've been talking a lot about uh, Yellowstone. Um, and we had uh, a comment on our Instagram page from the actor Jefferson White, who plays Jimmy, who's one of our favorite characters from the show, the King of Rodeo uh, in Montana. So that was great. Um, also had some social media love from the Beth Dutton fan page and the Italian Kevin Costner fan page. Um, Dan, your review of Nerve went down really well. Uh, Jason from Porirua said, uh, choice review uh, makes me want to start gaming again. Um, so that's pretty cool. And we also had um, Earl Green from uh, Retrogram Podcast who replied saying he loved the soundtrack to that movie. So that's one that's still on my watch list. I know you you watched it a couple of weeks ago and really enjoyed it. Uh, what else have we got? Okay, so Miles Brown uh, gave us a couple of late suggestions for our Liam Neeson peak performance from last month. Uh, had The Grey, uh, a movie I really enjoyed, and also somewhat controversially, Kroll. I have not watched Kroll in at least I don't know twenty five years, but I feel like I would love to go back and uh, and watch that. And the the last peak performance we actually did was Pierce Brosnan, and we had some suggestions coming for that one. We had uh, Paddy, of course, uh, gave us his three, two, one Mars attacks, Seraphim Falls, and Golden Eye. Uh, Ash from Pamson North here in NZ as well, uh, and Jamie from Ohio both went GoldenEye as well, as too did we, so a lot of love for GoldenEye. Ryan from California went with The World Is Not Enough. Cody Lee from Georgia went with Dante's Peak and made the comment that they've seen it a hundred times at least and would watch it if they came across it on TV right now. And I love that passion. I love that response as well. That's how I am with like Superman 2 or Star Trek 5. I love that. And uh, and Norman from Roddenberry.com, he went with Thomas Crown Affair, which uh, is probably one of the best remakes of a real... I really, I actually love the original, the Steve McQueen, Faye Dunaway, um, the original. Both those versions are great. Um, the one last thing on that, I did mention uh, when we talked about Pierce Brosnan's uh, GoldenEye was possibly the best at that point since Connery's last performance in Diamonds Are Forever. And Jamie tweeted us to say that actually Connery gave another performance as uh, James Bond in 1983's Never Say Never Again. So, look, I take the point, Jamie. However, I am, if one thing, a man of canon. Never Say Never is not an official Bond movie, and so I discounted it on that basis. But I do thank you for getting in touch. I do love the attention to detail. And in fact, if you were going real deep into detail, Sean Connery also returned as James Bond when he did the voiceover work in the 2005 um, from Russia at Love video, um, a game that Diana and I played for hours back on the PS2 back in the day. But anyway, all of this is getting me hungry for no time to die down. That's all I know. And that's, yeah, that is the mailbag this week. That's awesome. I honestly, Paul, cannot wait till we start reviewing James Bond movies or the, you know, we're going to review the the Daniel Craig 
uh, James Bond series, at least otherwise we'll be here all year doing James Bond movies. But it's every time they delay it, I'm sad because I'm so desperate to watch those movies. It's going to be a good time. All right, so it must be time then for peak performances. So much like our movie of the week, uh, with our peak performance, we take turns choosing an actor or an actress, and we talk about their what we think are their top three best movies. So this week we have Ben Affleck, and I'm going to let you go first, Paul. Thank you, Dan. So I'm going to just jump straight in. Number three, I went with Giggly. Um, no, I didn't. I honestly didn't. I just wanted to see your face. And actually, it was a real, it was a real deb. There was no reaction at all. That movie, by the way, has the lowest IMDb score I've ever seen at 2.5 and 18% from Metacritic. I challenge anyone who's listening, if, if you've seen a lower rating for something that's had at least like 40,000 votes or whatever, please do let us know because 2.5. I'm so glad I haven't seen that movie. I almost feel fascinated to watch it. My real number three uh following on from last week's conversation is 2015's batman versus superman dawn of justice and so look this movie gets 6.4 i feel like this movie is really harshly judged i sometimes struggle to understand why that is but for me i i feel ben affleck is is really strong in this movie i feel like i love all of the dynamics of all the relationships so with alfred with Diana Prince um, and, and of course with Superman. And, you know, I said last week when we reviewed um, Zack Snyder's Justice League, I, I feel like he's just really good in this role. And I feel like this performance probably tops the the three movies we've seen him in, in this universe. But it's for him trying to follow in the footsteps of the Dark Knight trilogy and Christian Bell. That is a tough ass to follow. And I felt like he came out and did a really strong sound job both as Bruce Wayne and as 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 Batman. So that's my number three. Um my number two is the 2014 movie uh, Gone Girl by David Fincher. I I remember watching this movie thinking I I, I thought I understood what was going on and then all of a sudden something happened in the movie and it was very clear to the whole audience that we'd all been fooled and that we did not know at all what was going on. And whilst I, a lot of that was actually to do with the writing and, and Rosamund Pike, who is also fantastic in this movie, I feel like Ben Affleck plays his role in this movie, again, really, really well. And some of the arguments that he has with Rosamund Pike's character are truly memorable. I can remember some of the lines, some of the dialogue. And for two people that are fighting and at each other's throats, they somehow have this great chemistry on screen as, as an arguing couple. I, I thought he was... Um, Really, really strong this movie, and again another great, another great David Fincher movie. We must do a podcast on David Fincher sometime. Dan, uh, number one, this was a standout for me. And ten years on, this is still my favorite Ben Affleck movie. This is 2010's The Town, and for me, it personifies everything I would want from a from a, a Ben Affleck movie. I feel like he's he feel he's not from Boston, but somehow he feels right at home in this role uh, as a as a Boston gangster I'm almost disappointed that he hasn't played more roles like this I feel like it's such a great fit for him kind of like a, a De Niro is a great New York gangster I feel like ben, ben Affleck as a Boston gangster is great maybe as he gets older that might come I don't know but but this one high tension great story great dialogue the accents are fantastic again the relationships and all the chemistry um, his his character has with the uh, what was her name? 
goodness, it's gone now. She was in Mission... Uh, Rebecca Hall? Rebecca Hall. Yeah, her and, and Jeremy Renner, those two. I, w- I would rate this movie in my top three movies easily for 2010 alongside uh, uh, Shutter Island and the other DiCaprio one, which escapes me now, but you know what I mean. Um, those three movies, I remember for when I was looking at 2010 movies, that's how good this movie is. It's uh, Inception. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, this one is that good. It's right up there with Inception for me. Fantastic. That's my three, two, one. What about you, Dan? Those are some great choices. So, I, do you know what? There's a lot of great Ben Affleck movies, and this is what this is all about, right? It reminds you of actually how much of a back catalogue some of these actors have, and I think Ben Affleck has got some classics. I'm going to go my, – my choices are actually not dissimilar to yours apart from, from one of them. So my number three, and this is a movie that is often hated on a lot. This is 2001 – Pearl Harbor. This movie gets so much grief for being too long, being like it's too much Michael Bay, too many explosions. I absolutely love this movie. This is a movie I can watch at any time as well. It's never too long for me. I love anything to do with like pilots and the army, and it's it's just a good time. So for me, it's always going to be in my my number three spot. I'm actually going to go with the town for number two. So like you. Absolutely love the town. I really actually struggle between picking the town or the accountant because mm. I think about these movies as this could be Bruce Wayne in training to do to, to play the role of the protector of Gotham. And I think it, it really shines through. But the town, top tier movie, I'm with you. Would love to see more of Ben Affleck being a, a, a local gangster all around um, a badass. That would be a good time. And I actually put, you know, for old time's sake, Batman v Superman is my peak performance. And like you say, this movie gets a lot of hate. It's not loved by everybody. But I think it, you know, it takes a special type of actor to step into a Batman movie that hasn't had an origin story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, normally we always get the build up to someone becoming Batman and, you know, Batman's Ben Affleck's coming as Batman, he's gone toe-to-toe with Superman. Yeah, there's some corny things that happen in this movie, but I walked out of that out of that movie thinking Ben Affleck can 100% be Batman any day, and particularly like we talked about with the Zack Snyder review, an older, grislier, grumpier, experienced Batman. Absolutely loved it. And I don't think I don't think it's not everyone that can step into that role. So it's a good time. Great choices, Dan. I, I always think in my mind, what would Dan pick? And I, I had thought that you would have Armageddon in there. I don't know why. I just thought you were going to go real old school and have Armageddon because that's another classic that was hard to ignore. But um, as you say, so many great choices for Ben Affleck. I definitely nearly had Armageddon in there because, you know, great story, got Liv Tyler in it, like came hot off that sort of Lord of the Rings era, Bruce Willis. Mm. Uh, it, it probably should have been in the list. I expect a number of people to write in this week with Armageddon in there in there somewhere. I also wanted to give him shout outs for movies where he's got quite small roles, but I just love them as movies like Chasing Amy or Clerks 2. There's dogma. There's, there's some great stuff. But anyway, I could go on all day about uh, Ben Affleck. That probably brings us to the end of another episode, Paul. It does indeed. So um, if you've got any movie suggestions for us or a peak performance for Ben Affleck you want to give us do get in touch with us on social media at Half Measures Podcast on Instagram Facebook Twitter 
And yeah, thanks again to Paddy for joining us for our movie of the week review of Tombstone this week. And thanks again to Mission Log Podcast and the Roddenberry Podcast Network for supporting this week's episode. And as always, a special shout out to our Patreon producers, um, Trisha Brady and Samara King. If you would like to become a Patreon of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, it's adios.